everyone, and welcome to Bookends with Friends. This is your co-host, your lover, your friend, Parker Moon. Hey, it's Brett. This is your co-host, Daniel Phillips. I have to, I have to wind that back a little bit. I'm, I'm only one person's lover. Um, is it so, me? It's you, Dan. Um, we're a <laughs> weekly dude. book club podcast where we go over one book every month, and we make friends along the way. Hey, and- it's Brett. And it's Brett. Um, we also what, what's what's the book we're doing this month? Hey guys, I'm sorry. I, you know, I let me let me just it's say Brett. it's morning. It's morning. It's, it's, it's morning. morning it's Brett. It's morning. It's Brett. Um, it's morning. We're we're doing a nice little Friday morning record. Uh, the book of April is sort There's of dew on the grass. By... That the scene. Jesus. It's Brett. Um, the book of April yeah, set, is wait, sort of set, actually. I agree with Brett. Can you set the scene? Give us more than just it's April and morning. There's dew on the grass. The first rain of spring has come. Parker hasn't slept since 3 a.m. because his dog is scared of storms. Brett has just finished his second cookie butter coffee. There's no cookie butter in it. (laughs) I'm working on my second one. Sort of Kaigen, M.L. Wang, last last episode of April. Get it ready. That was good. That was better. Thank you. Um, and you're not wrong. I, so not only did my dog keep me up last night, but my allergies have been on the fritz, uh, you you could say. Um, and it feels like someone has injected a liter of pollen into each of my nostrils. So let's do this. <laughs> is all spring we do complain really on this here. podcast? Yeah, spring. All we do is complain, complain, complain. Well, uh, give me some complaints. Tell me about your week. No, I'm not going to complain. I'm done with that. I'm I'm okay. turning over a new leaf. Um, so I finished the secret project number two from Brandon Sanderson's secret projects that he's released. I could just say the name. I said the name last week. It's the medieval. I, I can't yeah, say the just name. Say, I can never yeah, remember. Go ahead. Just say the name. Hang on. What is it? No, hang on. The frugal wizard's handbook to surviving medieval England. And I thought it was bad, um, which is kind of sad. <laughs> Whoa, really? Yeah, I uh, I didn't really care for the characters, the main character in particular. Um and I don't know, it just it didn't leave me feeling any sort of way. I don't have anything like in particularly super negative to say about it outside of just like it was pretty subpar. Um, this wasn't your vibe. And, yeah. Um but like no no hate to anyone who finds it fun. That's the thing I've seen a lot of people say is it's a lot of fun. It is. It's fun. Um I feel like it went for a lot of stuff and it just didn't land for me in particular. Um, but I am also reading uh, Sword of Kaigen, which I am enjoying very much. And also I picked up Fonda Lee's Untethered Sky uh, book that she just released and started that. And I'm enjoying that quite a bit too. So there's uh, good books on the horizon. And that's all I have for, what's, for what I'm reading. But what I'm watching, or rather what I've watched, is the Mario movie. So I don't have I don't have much of a short story, but I wanted to I wanted to hit you guys. Wait, with you a saw question. it? I did. Nice. It was great. Yeah, it was a fun time. Um, Jack Black's fantastic. Peaches is the number one song on my head in loop <laughs> over and over and over and over. Um, but I wanted to I wanted to play a little game with you if you guys will. I know we're I know we're low energy in the in the room in the studio this morning, but I'm I wanted to play a little great. game with you. Okay, maybe it's just me. Um. If Mario were to move into books, what would that be like? 
like full like not not like a graphic novel but like a full novelization no, yeah, a full, of a mario. Full book i want i want you to help me build a mario book that has a, a like what genre what's the plot who are the main characters from the mario uh extended universe um that we're pulling from i think 10 book uh epic fantasy no with shifting with shifting third person pov Okay, you got me. Um, snapping between Mario and Mushroom Kingdom and Mario from real life, where Mario's friends in real life are missing him and his is there his, is there some sort of plumbing ways? Is there a sort of animus that he gets into to relive um his ancestors' lives? Yeah, th- there could be. There that that's a plot line we definitely could take. Uh, but I think there's a lot to be told. Uh, that's kind of behind the scenes in Mario. Like I personally am a huge Shy Guy fan. Yes, and I would Get love to shy see guy some time what Shy Limelight. Guy is up to. So, um, get him some some spotlight because I think he really deserves it. I want him to be. Uh, Why is he so shy? These exactly. Are the, this is, yeah, this is good. Yeah, I I, so I really I really like the um the the Mario arc where he. Hops in the Animus, and he mm. becomes his great ancestor Ezio Auditore. Okay, and yep, goes around. That's, I was trying to figure out where you were going, and now I did it. And now he, I figured it out. He assassinates Koopas. And it's Assassin's Creed. He's talking oh, it's about Assassin's, Assassin's Creed. Creed. I want to. Oh boy! I want a Mario book that's like a gritty noir murder mystery. Okay. Um, set in Mushroom Kingdom. I'm thinking either like um. Like one of the toads is killed, and then like they all like kind of like Clue style, like it's at like a, a like a castle, a ball, you know, at Peach's castle. You want and, a like, knives one, out Mario? Mystery. I want a knives out with with the cast of Mario. And That's a good I idea. Really, I like. I really want it to be like everyone suspect. Like Luigi's been on hard times because after all the the haunting in Luigi's mansion, he hasn't like recovered. He's got some serious PTSD. Um, and he's also always been under Mario's shadow, so maybe it's like a jealousy play. I, uh, I, I'm i already painting a perfect picture uh, for the intro, right? So they're all at the party. Sorry to interrupt, but I've got to get this out of my head go, right Go, now. go, 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 go. So they're all at a party. They're all drinking. Um, what, what, what do you drink in Mushroom Kingdom? What do you think? What do you think? Um, you just drinking fire potions? No, like bloopers ink. Okay. They're drinking some, drinking some blooper ink. Uh, everyone's having a great time. The lights go out. The lights come back on and Toad is just completely flattened on the ground, right? Oh, and then yeah. it's a slow it's a slow camera turn and you see like Mario and Luigi and Peach and then you just see a flop in the corner. <laughs> and everyone's like, like who who did and he, it? And he's like <laughs> and he goes, and he goes <laughs> like guys, it wasn't me is the and subtitles. <laughs> and then we have to figure out who who uh, flattened Toad. Yeah, and then you rug. find and then you find like a a bloody uh, hammer from one of the Hammer Bros, but that's yeah. also a red herring because then you find out that it's not Toad's blood. God, there's so many avenues that this could go down. Mm. Um, Sounds like we're just writing a movie instead of. No, no, no. I don't want to. I want it in book form. I feel like book form offers a lot more. Surely, um, there's fan art or fan fiction we can read on this. It's been right. done before. I'm yeah, sure or there right. is. If there's yeah. if there is any murder mystery uh, fan fiction out there that anyone knows about in the Mushroom Kingdom, please send that to me. <laughs> okay. Oh boy, Brett, that's my short story. That's that's a good one. I'm glad you enjoyed the movie. I uh, 
we'll probably see it at some point. What what I'll say about the movie real quick is um, it was just fine in the sense that like it did its job. It made a billion dollars, like so many, so much money. Um, but like it, it like it played it pretty safe. I think I already told you this, Daniel. Um, yeah, but like it, it played it very safe. So like if you're expecting like to be wowed in the same vein as like an into the spider verse or the, the newest puss in boots, um, don't go in with that kind of expectation. But if you just are like going for the nostalgia play and want to see a tight 90 minutes of Mario and Luigi getting into shenanigans, you're going to have a great time. I love it. Thank you love for that review of the Mario movie. That's a good one. What, guys, what, is, I told you I'm not, bringing my a, I'm not bringing my A-game today. That was an A-game review. That was an A-game review. Don't, okay. Not, not insulting. Just okay. very funny. You have, judge, <laughs> you have judgmental eyes, all right? Man, my eyes are sleepy right now. Uh, Brett, Brett, what about you? Um, So let's rewind a week. Um, I, I would like to shout out on behalf of Dan and myself, uh, Kate the Killer Hiller. Um, yeah. For we did, Dan did mention it that we played with uh, her parents' dog toys in uh, their backyard. But um, Kate was kind enough to invite us to her family's uh, Easter lunch, and that was wonderful. And it was a great was time. So nice. And we got Easter basket. Excuse me, Easter baskets, and it was great. I have devoured my Easter basket, by the way. Those Sour Patch Kids did not make it to my house to, yeah. from the car ride from Kate's mm. house. They're amazing. So, so SPK good. will really do that to you. So S- SPK bunnies, man, they they hit the spot. Yeah. So spot um, real good. shout out. Thank you so much for having us. And um, yeah, that's my that's my short story. Yeah, dude. Um, I finished a quart of Wings and Ruin. Do you think there's a market for spicy patch kids or umami patch kids? Umami, umami patch kids. Umami what about kids. Hot, hot Cheeto kids. They're just, they're just meat flavored sour patch kid gummies. I feel like they're really. They've only explored sour patch kids, but there's so many. At least like five other or four other flavors, right? We do need uh, more collaboration. More collaboration in the candy world. Like, we need more mix and match of candies and chips and snacks and treats, I think. Umami Patch Kids needs to happen. Okay. Uh, sorry, b- before Umami interrupted. Uh, a Court of Wings and Ruin, bad book. Not a good book. Uh, that it's, it's just all over the place. Like, books one and two, I feel, are very focused. Like, they know the story that they're going to tell, and it gets told, and the book ends. Um Book three of Akatar is just, uh, it feels like a video game that you beat and then you look at your quest log and you realize you forgot to do like 25 side quests and then you have to go back and backtrack and do all of them. That's what book three felt like to me because it was just, it just kept going and going and going and I didn't want it to keep going. Um, But that's not important because what is important is I had the pleasure of watching Return of the King at the cinema for its 20th year anniversary, uh, which is wild. I saw that movie when I was eight, which is crazy to think about. I told one of my coworkers that, and he said, not to weird you out, because um, I told him I went with my dad to watch it. And he was like, how old was your dad when you saw that movie for the first time? And I thought about it, because my dad's pretty young. And I was like, my dad was 27 when he took me to see that movie. And I was like, oh boy, that feels 
Yeah, you're bad. older than. Oh, yeah, that's weird. Yeah, that's a that's yeah, that's, that's it's a very interesting thought. Yeah. Um, but some some highlights for this movie. So it's the extended edition of Return of the King, which, if you don't know, is two hundred. Can you explain? Can you explain to what our to our listeners what Lord of the Rings is? I don't know if. Uh yeah. So Lord of the Rings is a that's, book. These are goofs. Written All by, right, keep going. Written by uh, R. J. J. Tolkien. That's right. Do you like that? Do you like that callback? That's one callback like, to last week's episode. Callback to last week's episode. Who wants to be a billionaire? It was the extended edition. So if you don't know, it's two hundred and sixty minutes long. It's a long movie. It's like it's over four hours. It started at seven, and on the way over, Nicole and I were like, maybe it's one of those. It's like a special event. Like maybe it's one of those things. Or at seven o'clock, the movie starts because why wouldn't it be? Because it's four and a half hours long. Uh, we get there. First thing the guy says to us when we walk in, he's like, hey, guys, just to let you know, the movie's been delayed by 10 minutes. And we are like, no problem. This is a pretty long concession line. Are they we'll still some- cutting the film? I don't, the yeah, movie's I'm, been I'm out for 20 too. years. This is like a flight told, delay, but it's like there's... Yeah, <laughs> I told Nicole they have like 4,000 pounds of film that they have to set up, which I'm pretty sure it's not... I, I, I'm not pretty sure. I know for a They've fact... They've had 20 years to film. prepare. Um, so anyway, he's like, the movie's been delayed by 10 minutes. And we're like, not a problem. We'll get some concessions. We'll find our seats. Moving on. So we get our... They were we rewinding the VHS big, still. <laughs> we get our big old... Big old bucket of popcorn. Peter was making last second cuts. Last second cuts. First, we come we come to the first impasse, which is someone is in our seats, and it was like it was uh it was your pick your own seat type of thing because the theater was full, and I had really good seats because I got it pretty early. So first off, I had to be like, hey, you're in my seat. It's a really full theater, so like I could sit next to you, but I know for a fact if I do, someone's gonna come to me and say I'm in their seats. Right. And so let's just stop the chain. Let's just stop the chain right now. I have these seats. Get out of my seats. That's so brave of you. Thank you. I it, I was sweating. I hate conflict, even though if it's not conflict, but I make it out in my head like it is. Anyway, they're super nice. They moved. So now it's like 720. The movie has not started yet. Uh, a guy comes out and he's like, hey, it's delayed again. I, I feel like I'm still like sitting on Delta Airlines right now. Um, like on the tarmac he said it's delayed again we're so sorry if you want you can go to the front desk and get a refund and leave 20 minutes in he was already that's not a good sign well i was like that means this is gonna be a while so i in my head i'm like i can't get a refund because i did just spend like 40 dollars on concessions so no way i'm leaving with 10 (laughs) pounds of popcorn back sneak into another movie uh so we just wait the movie starts mario three times bro (laughs) That's what he said. I, I was like, I can get a refund or I can see Mario four times. Um, it's 7.45. The movie starts. And when I say the movie starts, the ads start. They still show all of the ads. They show an ad for the Lord of the Rings tabletop game, which is definitely like specifically made to be shown before this movie. I bet they had to show it. And it was like two minutes long. Not a big deal. The screen goes black again. The screen cuts off again. And the movie's broken again. It comes back on like 10 minutes later. And it's the same tabletop Lord of the Rings ad again, except this time the ad ends and it goes into a promotional video of Elijah Wood talking about this tabletop game. And I am not joking. It was a 20 minute D&D session promoting this tabletop game where you're watching 
actors play the Lord of the Rings tabletop adventure. And I was losing my mind. I'm like, guys, it's 8.15 and this is a four and a half hour long movie. What are we doing? So it finally ends. The movie starts. um, And I got to tell you, it was the fastest four and a half hours of my life. I love it so much. And it felt so, so good to see it in theaters. Question. Yeah. What was there um was there a post credit scene for like the next one? Yeah, it was uh they, they showed off um Great question. Kane. They showed Kane and Thanos' revival. Oh. and uh, uh Professor X he showed up wow. at the end. Yeah, super cool. Um uh, but no, I just love it. I love that movie so much. I cried three times i think and i told nicole i was like hey, i'm gonna be pretty annoyed because i'm not a big fan of like clapping in theaters all that much and i'm like i know it's gonna be clapping but everyone was just so chill like everyone was just there to just watch the movie and not like can i, I was ask expecting, a serious question like, joke yeah i haven't sorry this is like i know this is faux pas because it's lord of the rings and we're a book club podcast so i should know this but i haven't watched the movie it's in a while so pa. it's so faux pas um I this is so embarrassing. Remind me, was there an original song sung by Jack Black? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, maybe I don't know. I don't know who's credited to the songs on that movie. I'm pretty sure Tenacious D writes Tenacious D the and the Ride of Destiny. The Ride of Rohirrim is, was written by Tenacious D. Okay. Do you think? Do you think the movie could have been improved upon if they would have spliced in just a couple more original songs from Jack Black? Probably. It probably would have. I'm sure Peter so. Jackson thought about it. Well, yeah. in this sure cut, about it. in this cut, um, when she pulls off her helmet and says, I am no man, uh, it actually kicks into Skrillex's bang rang. And then it's like a it's like a smash cut of all the, the fighting. Um, Man, these short stories are going long. Uh, that's all I've got. Return of the King is just one of my favorite movies of all time. It hits me right in the feels every single time. I love it so, so much. Oh, one, well, wait, not done yet. One very quick note. Uh, I said everyone was very respectful. I was expecting people to like be jokey about stuff and like make jokes out loud to like get a laugh from the theater. No one did that, which was really nice. Uh, what everyone did laugh at when Denethor, when Denethor bites into the tomato, which is just the, the worst scene ever, an audible like gasp, <laughs> like spread throughout the theater, which I thought was very funny. Also, everyone did go uh, on bathroom breaks the second it switched back to Frodo and Sam. Every That's time hilarious. their scenes came back, 15 yeah. people would get up and go to the bathroom, exactly. which I thought was so funny. And that's all. Uh, what are we doing? What are we talking about? Well, we are talking about... Um, I, I, I decided since I love history so much, then um, I'd create a segment that we could do every once in a while called the history of dot, dot, dot. I love this. The history of. And so this week um, we're going to do maybe this might be part one. I don't know. We'll see how far we get. Um, We're going to get on Brent's magic school bus and go back in time. The history of books. Part part one question mark. Ooh, that seems like a good history. So books in general seems like you're you're covering all of the bases of what we could talk about in this podcast. <laughs> yeah, in in one. Well, I mean, we we'll, we're gonna we'll do more history stuff, but this is this is like the I origin. Do feel like there's probably a lot of history about books, so you're yes, probably good. There is. There's a ton. Okay. So, are you gonna, gonna teach s- us about cuneiform 
and well, like early writing. Don't get ahead of us. <laughs> don't get ahead no. of the class. I'm on the edge of my seat. You're freaking know-it-all teacher's pet. Please tell me that cuneiform was one of the things you had to say. It is. Talking about cuneiform today. Okay. We're going to start with a trivia question. Um, and this trivia question is, what is widely considered to be the first book or significant composition ever written? The Odyssey created? by Homer. Uh, that is incorrect and way Dang off. It. Do I get multiple choice? No, you the do not. The Ten Commandments. I mean, according to the Bible, that is maybe true. No, I think this might be older than that. Hmm. Um. So it's not the it's not the the Torah, the Old Testament, right? That's we, we're deciding that that's not right. Correct. Okay. Um. Uh. Well, I'm trying to think. Do do like do, you've heard do, of it? Is it the Rosetta Stone? No, but we are going to talk about the Rosetta Stone. It's it's an epic poem. It's oh. one. Of, it's like the original epic poem. The Iliad. Nope, that was a Homeric. Uh, that was another. Oh, it is. Uh, it's the Epic of Gilgamesh. Oh, that's right. It is. Right? Daniel, that is right? Right. That is correct. Let's freaking go! It's the Epic of it. Gilgamesh. Nice. Uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh was a Sumerian epic poem. Um, it was said to have been written sometime between the uh, 21st and 12th century uh, BCE, which is, I guess, nowadays more commonly known as BC. Sorry, I'm an idiot. Before Christ. Guys, we're looking real smart. Yeah, <laughs> this is a bad start. Real this is a bad start. Smart right now. This is a bad start. Um, but yeah, so it was written in or created in Mesopotamia, which is modern day Iraq. That area between the Tigris or around the Tigris and Euphrates River. Um, and it's about Gilgamesh, who is the king of a city called Uruk. And it's about his uh, heroic journey. And it's considered like a prototype for later heroic stories like the Homeric poems that you guys mentioned before. Um, and also, it's the basis for the uh, character in Marvel's The Eternals, uh, Gilgamesh. Mm, that's what I've been thinking about the entire time <laughs> we've been talking about this, which really is sad because that shows that the education system didn't properly, you know, teach me about the actual epic of Gilgamesh. But Marvel's uh, MCU's yeah. ha has fully appropriated and taken that name and just implanted it into my brain in a completely different way. Exactly. So, I mean, he was really strong. He won a test of strength. So that's part of the reason why um, he's yeah, when he the beat strong the one. Yeah, exa exactly. <laughs> Parker, you know your book history. Why, what am I even doing here? You teach this class. Wow. Um, I would so like my that, gold star for uh, my trivia question, please. That, that was good. That was really good. Um, so this leads us into our quote of the week, which is a translation of a section of the Epic of Gilgamesh. Oh, that's so cool. This quote of the week, I feel like, has power. It's actually a really good one. So this is when Gilgamesh, he's lost his best friend, and he's speaking to, uh, excuse my pronunciation, Siduri, who is uh, a goddess of wisdom. Um, he's determined to find the secret of eternal life to bring his friend uh, back to life. And this is what uh, Siduri says to him. Gilgamesh, where are you hurrying to? You will never find that life for which you are looking. When the gods created man, they allotted to him death, but life they retained in their own keeping. 
As for you, Gilgamesh, fill your belly with good things. Day and night, night and day. Dance and be merry. Feast and rejoice. Let your clothes be fresh. Bathe yourself in water. Cherish the little child that holds your hand. And make your wife happy in your embrace. For this, too, is the lot of man. That's beautiful. That's a good quote. Right? Hey, you know, there's some wisdom the human that, condition. Yeah, for from Gilgamesh. And also, um, it really hit me hard because I haven't showered today. And that, that line about keep your clothes fresh. Um, yeah, bathe yourself in water. Be, yeah, I need to bathe myself in water. I need, a, I need a reset, you know. I need. I think that's probably um, why I'm feeling a little crummy still. So, yeah. Oh, no, that's just the pollen I put in your house. Damn it, Dan. Um, well, thank you, Brad. That was great. That was a yeah. great quote of the week. I'm so excited. Keep, keep, keep teaching me. So we're going to discuss the origins of, of books, basically. And that you can't have books without writing and writing yeah. surfaces. So yeah, so the origin of writing has to start with the creation of writing and like paper or what they used to write on. So originally this meant like tool or sorry, this meant tablets, scrolls, and eventually papyrus. Um, which is like the ancestor of paper. And back then, what we call books today were more commonly called codices or codex. Codex. Which is like... Mm, That sounds so much more badass. Yeah, exactly. I don't have a library of books. I have a library of codices. That's what you should start saying. Come to the Moon Codice Library. Shout out Codex Codex. by Jim Butcher. There you go. Jews of Calderon. If Nick ever listens. <laughs> so um, we're going to start in Mesopotamia, which we've already mentioned with Gilgamesh. Um, so in Mesopotamia, they used uh, clay tablets, such as the one that uh, Gilgamesh was written on. Um, and these were inscribed using a tool called a calamus, which is kind of, it looks like an arrowhead. Um, and they would moisten clay and carve into the clay their writing, which was called, and Parker mentioned this earlier, it was cuneiform. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and this is a reference to the wedged uh, shape impressions used to form the symbols of uh, the Sumerian language. Um, it's, it, was a, it was adapted into other local languages um, within like Sumerian, but it's actually considered a language isolate which means it has no other relationship to like modern languages or any that are spoken today. So it's incredibly hard to translate. Is that, is that cuneiform or, or Sumerian? Sorry, what'd you say? Yes. Which, like cuneiform, oh, which that's, is that's, like the that's written very system. Interesting. Like from, from a linguistics like perspective, I feel like that's incredibly fascinating that it has yeah. no ties to any other modern language. Yeah. It's super cool. Um, and because I guess it was at the time is, you know, back in that time, everyone was pretty geographically isolated. Sure. And a lot in a lot of these situations, when other, um, a lot of these like lost languages is because another culture would invade and destroy any kind of existence of that language. Can I hit you with a question? I'm not sure you'll have an answer for it yeah. if this came up in your studies or not. But so as you were talking, I was thinking, I, I know how hard, like, or I've, or I've heard how hard it was to preserve books because of that reason in the past. How was uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh stored? How, how was it maintained and, and passed and, and translated? 
they found like a small percentage. Well, they've said they found like so there's in the in a lot of like the ancient cities in that region, um, specifically the one in uh, Nineveh, which is in modern day Iraq, I believe, like northern Iraq. There's actually evidence that the um, like the kings and just the people of that era had early versions of like libraries kind of they um they had like it was like an early conservation system for their tablets and the writings because they found thousands of them but i assume there were even more and possibly more ways you know we're going to talk about the rosetta stone later maybe more ways to translate that were all destroyed but they were able to preserve some probably not as i, I mesoamerica is probably more extreme because most of it is lost, but, um, but yeah, so yeah, they found a bunch archived in, in Nineveh. Can, can I interject one more time? Our yeah. billionaires are so boring. You know, like there's a lot of reasons to hate our like billionaires that run our entire society and, and, you know, and rule us with their crippling, uh, uh you know, uh, control over everything with how late stage capitalism works and all that jazz. But like if they're all doing the space race, none of them have thought to translate their entire library in right. uniform. That's what <laughs> I would do. I'd be like, all right, I want, I want, uh, all my books in cuneiform tablets and then just have a right. massive library in cuneiform. Just have all these codices of cuneiform. God, that's see now that's like some weird ass megalomaniac, like super villain stuff that I could get behind. That's yeah. the kind of supervillain stuff that I want our billionaires to be doing, not the whole like space race AI taking over Twitter stuff that's just boring and played. Exactly. Right, continue, Brett. I completely agree. Um, so we're gonna jump like uh, spaceship Earth. We're gonna jump to another part of the world. So let's all hop on the school bus and we're gonna fly over to. It's pretty close by. We're gonna fly over to Egypt. Because the uh, Egyptians were badass and they were already doing their own thing. Um, they had their own method of writing and writing surface, which is called papyrus. And it's made from the uh, papyrus reed, which was found on the Nile Delta. And it's, um, it's made through a process of like drying out and humidifying and doing all this stuff to to the uh, to the reed to create this writing surface and in Egypt they used a this their writing utensil was called a calamus which is the stem of a reed cut to it kind of looks similar to what like ink pens looked like it's that like cool tip so they just like, like cut like the reed of a yeah was it ink like did you use ink um yeah they used like early early versions of uh ink. so they're not like etching the beta words. version of ink yeah the beta yeah Got etching it. was more Still early access yeah they that's what they're like tablets and then also we're going to talk about china as well there is a method of i feel um, like china got it done carving in china they had a they had a they had a, a cool way as well um but the script that the egyptians use was uh and excuse my pronunciation again hieratic which is a simplified like cursive uh writing system that is based on hieroglyphics it's just like a simplified version that is more suited to uh writing 
Hmm. Um, and it was developed hmm. to write ancient Egyptian. Yeah, see, I didn't even know this. I only ever knew about hieroglyphics. I didn't know that they had a uh, like a, a, a cool cursive for yeah yeah um like a pared down version for quick on the go writing. Yeah, and their forms of um, papyrus was rolled up into scrolls, and some of these scrolls could be as forty meters long to write their books or codices. But uh, fun fact, as we mentioned before, the reason we can interpret and translate ancient Egyptian is because of the Rosetta Stone, which so Parky, you I mentioned earlier. I saw that in London. Oh, did you? Yeah, oh, it was super really cool. cool. I didn't know it was going to be there. And I turned a corner and it was just like, here's the Rosetta Stone. Whoa. I was, I was going to make a joke that do we know where, can you guys guess where the Rosetta Stone is today? And I was going to make a joke about the British Museum. <laughs> about how they've stolen a bunch of art and never given it back or just like a bunch of very important historical things yeah and they say look at all this cool art we stole please donate to our museum yeah right <laughs> and they refuse to give it back even though egypt's like hey can we have our like thing back and they're like, they're like no, no, oh, no, no, no 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 it's no, so, no. We're, sorry, we're gonna keep too, it here too, it was so important to heavy. our history sorry too heavy love can't move wow that's that's good that's it right there dan um yeah do you know what the rosetta stone is yeah, it's, it's uh, forced... a way to translate the language. Oh, wait, are you saying like what's written on the Rosetta Stone? Yeah, like how how does it? What? Why is it the the way that we like decoded? Is it ancient? Is it Egyptian? not like their versions of like an early alphabet? This okay. This is gonna sound dumb. This is what I've always thought it was. I thought it was like four sides of each of the. I can't. I can't remember what. Uh, like languages other languages are on there, but I always thought it was just like them doing like the ABCs in hieroglyphics so, and whatnot. I mean, it's not, it's not like super far off. It's similar. So it's from what I've, what it, and I also didn't exactly, I've always heard of it, but I didn't exactly know what it was. So apparently the top of it is written in uh, ancient Egyptian and it's, I believe it's like a, uh, like a speech or a commandment made in like Memphis um, but the top of it is in Egyptian and the bottom of it is actually translated into Greek, I believe. And so that's how it's like, it's not exact, but basically you can like read the Greek part and go look up at the top and see what the, the Egyptian word was for it. The, hy mm -hmm. the hieroglyphic word for it was. So it's similar. It's like, it's basically just like a translation top to bottom to see. And that's how they like decoded it and were able to like figure out. So that's, that's actually a like crazy cool. And apparently they found it just like randomly. It was being used as like building material. Oh, wait, in that's Egypt. insane. <laughs> yeah, that that's is cool. insane. So yeah, so that's Egypt. And next we're going to jump over to uh, China or East Asia. Um, and in China, before the invention of paper, um, the most common writing surfaces were like bone, shells, wood, um, and they're like pieced together using silk. Um, the earliest books were um, transcribed onto um, pronunciation again, uh, Jiandu, uh, which were basically pieces of dried bamboo bound together with hemp or silk. I bet a book made out of bamboo feels really good to turn a page on. It's 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 wild. They look so that, like, cool. Clunk that clunk you would hear when you flip yeah. a page. It's just like chunks of yeah, exactly. It's very cool, and they use a system called woodblock printing, which is basically and it sounds like a nightmare. 
Um, and that's why apparently it was like the most tedious way of printing. It was like their early form of it, but you'd basically carve phrases and like whatever you wanted to write into wood blocks. You could, and then you'd ink it and put it on. And stamp? Yeah, basically it was like a stamp system, but it just took forever because you had to carve each little thing into the wood. Um, but it, it, it looks super cool. But yeah, apparently they eventually got uh, tired of that. And in between the 6th and 9th century, um, they created uh, an earlier, apparently it's, it was created earlier than the Gutenberg press, but they're both independent of each other, I guess. Um, but it was like the first movable type printing. So they would use like character molds made out of like ceramic or clay. And then they would use that to like mass mass print stuff and the driving force. And I feel like it's this case in a lot of places, the driving force behind printing and um, writing was religion at the time. So Buddhism was yeah. the driving force in China behind the, the large production of, mm. of texts. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's China. And we're going to hop on over to Mesoamerica real quick. Um, I only have a couple more for, I guess, part one. Part one of the books. Well, I'm not sure when part two will happen or if it will happen, but we'll just say part one just in case. Oh, yeah. um, so as, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of texts in Mesoamerica were destroyed by uh, conquistadors. Um, but the earliest ones were written on... Um, or the ones that we have were written on plant fibers or animal hides. Um, and obviously most of the languages, um, we no longer have any, um, text from, but Mayan is the one that we still have. Mm. And a lot of their early books were written, uh, in concertina style, which is kind of, um, it's like folded up paper. It, it looks kind of like an accordion. It kind of like yeah. comes out like that. Um, and a lot of early works, uh, like texts around the world, were, were created in that style. But yeah, unfortunately, we do have very few codices remaining from the Mayan culture. But they're thought to be the earliest ones are thought to be from like the 11th century uh, mm -hmm. BC. Sorry, AD. Sorry about that. I, I misread. Um, so yeah, so Mesoamerica, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of evidence from. Wish we did, but... Um, it seems so hard to preserve something like that. Yeah, which that is part of the reason why they moved to parchment. We'll get into briefly, which is... Um, well, first, quick note, in Rome, they used wax-coated tablets, which seems a little bit inefficient, but that was more for like notes and stuff like that. Mm. But they'd use a stylus to carve stuff into like wax which it, it did allow them to like erase a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say, of. I feel like the shelf life can't be very good on that if it gets a little warm. Right, that wax exactly. starts to get a little drippy. And it's like, what, what did he say? Yeah. He called me what? <laughs> I don't think that was a long-term solution, which is why... That's how typos were invented. <laughs> <laughs> Any questions so far? Am I putting you to sleep? We're almost done. Not at all. Not at all. I have been like locked in. So the last section we'll get to, um, because it starts to get, I mean, I don't want to say boring. It starts to get less, once paper's invented, it's, obviously it like, less. yeah, you know how books yeah. work once paper gets invented. <laughs> please, please tell me. But 
next up was parchment, which apparently was tougher to like put together because it's made. So parchment, I don't know if you guys know, is made from animal skins. Um, Did not and know it's, that. I found a description that it's similar to like sausage casing. You know how the stuff that they like peel off mm, from sausages? Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. exactly. So it, um, there's evidence that- I knew that, eating paper was okay. <laughs> so it's, it's widely attributed to- Edible books. Yeah. It's widely attributed to um, being started in Greece and the um, Hellenistic, I think I'm saying that correctly, Hellenistic period. Um, but there is evidence that it was being used as far back as like Mesopotamia and Egypt. Like they have evidence, like actual codices made from mm. stuff in like Egypt, Mesopotamia. But it was, it became so popular because it was easiest, it was so much easier to to conserve. And you could also, which I thought is, had to have been the greatest invention for scribes ever, is you could erase can you imagine being a scribe before this creation? And if you mess up one thing, you're totally screwed. You're done. Start that would, over. That would be so like I I would do that all the time. I would not be a good scribe. But thankfully, I'm sure you really took. They your got time. really they got really good at doing that thing where they turned their like it, like <laughs> letters into other letters. Like they're like, <laughs> oh, that A is supposed to be an E, and then they like kind of make a weird little squiggle underneath, and they're like, no, it's just my yeah. my handwriting. It's my style. That's all cursive was invented. Yeah, so it was easier to erase, so it became more popular. Even though it's, I think it paper became more popular after that because parch, parchment was expensive and more hard to come by. Um, but it became popular in ancient Greece. Um, around like the third century uh, BC. Um, and that's kind of Greece is where book culture kind of started to get bigger. It's like some of the first evidence of like book trading. There wasn't a whole lot of it because you got to think back then there wasn't much it of had a to living. Be the uber wealthy, right? Well, yeah, yeah, there wasn't, or like if you're like a philosopher, like that's why those guys became so famous. Be, there wasn't a whole, there wasn't much of a living in books but there is the, there was early versions of like book trading and then obviously libraries became more important in during that period but that's kind of where my notes end for this episode wow um and in the 1400s uh gutenberg invented his press and we never looked back but depending when on did, the, uh, when did like calligraphy and beautiful ink brush strokes become a thing you know that's that's a good I feel question. Like, I feel like that was around well well before uh like we were doing stuff in in the western part of the world. But I don't know, maybe that's my own like I think, misunderstanding of history. I think so. I I would I think it's safe to assume that any kind of like in, intelligent like teaching system started somewhere in uh east asia or uh like egypt because they were a lot smarter and then things would just like creep its way over to western europe and greece um but uh i don't have any information on that but i can do more research he's teasing it for episode two i bet (laughs) part two part two book history with brett uh that was a lot of that that was a lot of research for you to have tough to do thank you for that 
Yeah, I was I I enjoyed looking stuff up and learning about things. It was it's very like high overview. Like I got yeah. on a couple tangents in my research and rabbit holes about stuff, but I feel like y'all didn't want to hear 30 minutes on cuneiform. You were so wrong, buddy. <laughs> you were so wrong. I wanted only I want I wanted an episode just about cuneiform. Hey, we can go back. This is what this segment's <laughs> about. It's it's just going to be episodes where we just talk about the history of stuff. Mm. In relation yeah. to books, obviously. In relation to books. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, any, Brad. Any closing, any closing thoughts or research you would like to share? Um, I think next time we could talk about the uh, proliferation and conservation of books, you know, libraries, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then we could talk more about like calligraphy, like Parker said, and just how um, how authors became popular and all that kind of stuff. We can talk about the Homeric I'm, guys. I'm so interested to see where this topic goes a hundred years from now, right? Like, what's the next big thing? And Parker's talked about this before. Uh, joking. Are we talking about books too again? Okay, here we go. Books. We're two. talking Parker's about trying- books too. Let's bookmark it there. The sequel uh, to books. It, oh, God dang it. Do you think Stephanie Meyer will get mentioned in like 100 years or 200 years from now when they're talking about I mean, she has the, one of the top selling books literally of all time. Yeah, she'll get mentioned. She'll get surely, mentioned. Right? Surely there's going to be some dumbass who's like, I want to read books, <laughs> but not in real life in the virtual space. So they're going to be in like a headset I can't, turning I can't pages. No, no, this was in this was in my last pitch. I'm just. I'm I just thought you were about, talking about 4D books again. Well, no, I mean I do think 4D books is a good idea. What if a thousand years from now, two thousand years from now, just how we found these clay tablets in in Nineveh? What if someone is going through an old busted library and they found like a decrepit old version of Twilight? And they're just they like dust it off and they're like reading and they they have to find a Rosetta Stone. The ancient texts. Yeah, Yeah, I got you. It's a little foley like blowing the dust off of the book. They blow the dust off and they're like, they're like, oh, my God, this the other half to Midnight Sun. All of this is going to make so much sense. (laughs) The story is complete. The story is complete. I'd like to think Um, that'll happen. Actually, so sorry to, to ramble. We can close it off after this, but. It's really interesting where this stuff could go, like from writing to, or, or, or from just like the physical script and writing and text to authors in these like mass production of novels to like ebook that we're moving towards. Because with AI and AI writing, it has been hinted at and like guessed that this is going to be a thing very soon i hate ai so much of ai you know how like we have ai art you go in and you say i i want to see uh i want to see sad mark zuckerberg on a whitewater raft and then boom you get it um there's a world very soon where we can say i like books with dynamic changing characters and epic fantasy worlds with uh, political conflict and AI creates a book pandered to you. Hold on, asterisk. AI 
sucks in all of the hard work of all of the years and years and years of authors yes. who have created books like yes. that and then shits out a version yes. that's tailored to you that's a bunch of nothing but i guess it is a thing that's correct that's, that's how i feel about ai but very it's scary it's changes really quickly <laughs> it's the worst it needs it's to be regulated ah, i'm gonna go on a rant right now Okay, before before rant, let's bookmark it there. Brett, thank you so much for the research. That seems like a lot of work that you had to go through for us two dummies to listen to and, and take. Um, read Sword of Kaigen by M.L. Wang by the end of April. Thank What's you, that Jacob. Day? What's the, the last Tuesday in April? That's yeah, what we have to write. I got it's, you. Kind it's, a, it's kind of a big book. 25th. Yeah, 25th. It's, uh, have that read by then. Five, 600 pages. Pretty big book. You got um, about 10, 11 days from day of recording, not day of this release. Thank you, Jacob Robinson, for intro and outro music and for being a guest on last week's episode. And thank you, Maddie Moon, for our cover art. Thank you both. And never forget the real books were the friends that we made along the way. 